Hello, and thank you to everybody who came out so very much. If you're listening to this after the fact, it's the Valentine's Day show. And why didn't you come out and see me? Is because I scheduled on Valentine's? Oh, see, now all of you girls have been telling me how amazing I sound, and how amazing I've been doing, and how much you're enjoying all the content, but you're not coming out to the shows, and I know that you need to. Every girl who did, everybody who sent in something, I appreciate you all so very, very much. You make it happen. You're my Valentine, and I'll never, ever forget you. What's that? You still want to be my Valentine, even if you didn't come on out? Well, of course, you can send in a tip on the link below. It will be in the podcast description. You can also share my stuff. I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Tumblr, and I'm talking a lot, lot more than I used to. It's fairly consistent. I'm fairly flirty. You can share my stuff with a friend or on social media. It brings more girls in. And that is how you could absolutely positively be my Valentine. Here's why being my actual Valentine is not the greatest thing in the world. Several girls actually sent me uh, something to my mailbox. I didn't get it. I'm going to go get it tomorrow. I'm going to go get it first thing. But I take my lovers for granted. Maybe that's why you don't come. Because Is it because I take you for granted? Is that why? Is it because I put you off? Is it because is it because I put you last after me? Because I gotta say, after listening to all the stories about women, I don't think that's why. Because <laughs> it sounds like women do that all the time anyway for every guy in their life, so it doesn't seem like that's the reason why it would be for me. Like, if so, please don't make me the one exception that you resent. You're already putting all the other men in your life ahead of me. Uh, don't discriminate. See, thank you. Jeez. Uh, in truth, I legitimately feel like I'm a very lucky boy. I feel very, very grateful. Uh, I feel uh, quite, quite honored to have uh, all this. Uh, I legitimately uh, am having a hell of a 2020 so far. I hope you are too. We're only, you know, six weeks into it, but I feel pretty strong. I feel pretty capable, and I feel like I'm rocking stuff out. Uh, I really legitimately hope that you feel the same. Yes? Yes? Good? Everyone? All of you? Everybody? Excellent. Very, very good. (laughs) Uh, So one thing that I'm not quite sure I'm ever going to get right is the balance of the ballast of the rocket. and one thing that I am like actively trying to get now in 2020 is I'm trying to get more numbers because uh, I like I like the success. Uh, I I like them going up, and I've never really been on the hunt for them. I've always complained in the past, like oh my numbers aren't high enough. But now I'm actually going after the fucker things, and it's it's interesting being on that hunt because I refuse, I absolutely refuse to put anything on a higher priority level than my fun. Uh, and I know that's kind of weird, and a lot of people don't admit that outright, especially when they're going for success or they're trying to fuel some ambition. But there it is, because I like being honest with you all. So my my rule is, like, I've sold cars before, or, like, if I just wanted money or if I just wanted status, I could, I could you know, I could also be a puppet for Robert Mercer. That's not hard. It's real easy work. Uh, but I, my, my number one thing is I just, I want to wake up every day. I want to look in the mirror 
And I want to respect that guy and have fun as much as possible. And I can't have fun if I don't respect him and yada, yada, yada. It's a whole thing. So that's, I want to live my life with those heuristics in mind. And with those heuristics in mind, it's got to be fun. It's got to be fulfilling first. But I do want the numbers. I want to get shared more on social media. That's why I'm pushing it lately and interacting more. I want to, I want to put out a more refined product. I want to put out something that more people hear and they think, ooh, that's really nice from the very beginning. I really want that as well. That's not a minor ambition. It's becoming, as I get more health, as I, as I hit my uh, due dates more and more frequently, as I hit my promises and all the rest, I want it. I do. Uh, and I'm going after it. And so... While the first rule is definitely going to be, as far as I'm concerned, until the day I die, I want to have fun with this. This is going to be a creative outlet for me. I'm going to enjoy it. The second part of it is, well, I need them fucking numbers. I'm going after those fucking numbers. And so I've been looking around, like, like how to, you know, maybe work more stuff in that would get more shared and, and where to go. Me and Ali are working on plans all the times. Uh, I'm really, really excited with how we're rolling out the database and planning on doing it. You're starting to see it pop up here and there. I know you guys are a little bit sad about the temporary uh, takedown, a couple things on Spotify. We're working on that plan to get stuff up. You're going to be very, very excited. Once it comes back, it's going to come back really well. Uh, but... Uh, you know, as we as we as we go over all the all the stuff uh, and, and we look over everything, I have to say, I'm starting to feel a little bit like Gustavo Fring from fucking Breaking Bad. It's a little weird. It's a little weird. All right, if you've not seen Breaking Bad, this reference is going to go over your head, and I apologize for that. But watch Breaking Bad, even though you're a woman, and that show has absolutely nothing in it for you whatsoever. Uh, but do it anyway because it's a fun show. And so basically, I'm just going to not spoil anything. There's a character on Breaking Bad named Gustavo Fring. And Gustavo Fring is a very, very ambitious man. But he also runs a fried chicken shop. He's both. He's both a very ambitious man. He's a man who takes care of business. And he also runs a fast food chicken shop. And he's both of these things at the same time. And a number of times throughout the Breaking Bad story, you'll see the man, and he's a scary man, but he's at a chicken shop. And he's a chicken shop owner, seller, and, you know, he's got to run the chicken shop. And so he's all like, you know, like the music and the tones are like, Gustavo's going to kill someone. Gustavo is very scary. But Gustavo, you know, he's on stream, and Gus, Gus Fring says something along the line of like, Would you like to get this chicken? There's a two-piece combo special today, right? And, like, that's just, that's just how the show rolls. If that sounds a little weird to you, it's supposed to be a little weird and it works. So the thing is about Gustavo is he really wants his fried chicken shop to do well, so nobody asks him any questions about anything else. If the fried chicken shop is doing well, then everything else in his life is going to go good. And so he's actually very concerned with the day-to-day -day operations of the fried chicken shop, even though it's not 100% what he's about. And so that's exactly how I feel when I'm trying to do all this stuff. It's exactly how I feel when I'm trying to step out of the creative mindset, because there's this one area where I'm a god. I'm an actual figurative slash literal, depending on the day you catch me in, God. And I can just ding, there you are, and ding, now you're naked, and ding, now there's three of you, and ding, now you're cat girls, and ding, now you're in maid uniforms, and ding, like I can literally, whatever I want, and then I do that, and then I ride it out, and then I come back to Earth afterwards. 
And I gotta say, when I come back to Earth, it's a way gentler thing for this writing than most people's writing, because I gotta say, like, I used to write sci-fi, I still do write sci-fi and stuff on my free time, I still have ambitions of that screenwriting thing I can't let go of, but, like, legitimately and truly, I, you know, it's a way softer writing coming back from that world of goddom, because if you write, like, sci-fi, you're like, and now the Terrans will take their spaceships and they will conquer the galaxy the end. You gotta come back from that and be like, oh, my back! Oh, Mr. Tommy, you're so hungry, let's make a grilled cheese. Yep, da, 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 da. life of a writer. Like George R.R. R. Martin got done with your favorite chapter of his fucking book, and he's like, oh, I gotta take a shit so bad. Right? Like, it's hard. You come back from the writer realm where you're a god and you had everything done, but then, like, you've physically been sitting in a chair for two and a half hours. It's like, ooh, my ass is sweaty. Ho, ho, ho. Oh, I gotta get in the shower. Ho, ho, ho. This is just like the Morlocks of Galatoria. Ho, 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 ho. Gotta wash them off just like a barbarian. Uh, and, you know, it's it's a bit more of a jaunting thing, because now I, I do my goddom, and I come back from my god realm, and it's it's a much gentler ramp down. There's, I come back where it's like, and I have fulfilled every woman who's ever lived. And then, you know, you know, I do my stuff, and then a little bit afterwards, I'll get, like, some DMs like, you're pretty hot. That's pretty good. <laughs> It's not so far of a distance, you know? It's pretty okay. So, I don't have to come back far down as Gustavo Fring when he's, like, a mob boss in his head, and then he's a fried chicken shop owner in real life, sweeping up, you know, asphalt in New Mexico. But I do still have to switch between the two mindsets. And as I switch between them, I have to say, it is a little bit difficult and I do think of Gus Fring trying to get his fried chicken right. And he's just trying to get his fried chicken right so he can do his other ambitions. He's just trying to get the franchise portion of his day correct so that he can get to the other stuff that he really, really enjoys more than anything else. And there's an issue when it comes to fast food service. And that is, you want everyone to enjoy it the first time. It's worth spending a little bit more money in fast food to give somebody a good experience the first time through so that they don't circle back around. The real expense in fast food is not the machinery. It is the real estate and the people. It's how much money per second each person's using. So if somebody has a problem, if an order is made wrong, that's actually very, very costly because they have to do it again and they have to make everybody wait. And so when you're getting drinks at fast food places, a lot of people wonder, why are the drinks at fast food places so huge? Why? It doesn't make any sense. Everywhere else you go in the world where you get food, you don't get drinks that size, but you go to a fast food place, you go to a drive through window, you get a huge, huge drink. Why? Why only this one location? And the answer is because they want to serve everybody the same thing, so they don't have to use any extra expenses, and they want to make it as efficient as possible for everybody. Well, the problem is, while everybody wants the drink that they get, that they order, they want that one, right? 
They don't want all that drink the same way. That is to say, not everybody wants the cold drink equally cold. This is true. So what fast food eventually figured out to do was just sell really big cups. Sell really big cups and then put half ice inside them. And this is known as the half ice compromise. Doesn't really have a name, but this is how it came about. This is why the mechanics of it work. You get the big, big cup, you half fill it with ice, and most people are happy with it. Why a big, big cup? Because a small portion of your audience wants even more ice, and a small portion of your audience wants much less. But you can't put too much less in, or too much more in, a much smaller cup. So you get a bigger and bigger cup. And people shove the ice in, and that works for just about everybody, and the whole machine keeps on moving along without too many requests or too many concerns, and everybody who says that they want more or less ice, well, no big deal. You've developed the system. That is the ice compromise that every fast food franchise eventually comes to, because they spend too much money if they don't come to it, so they just do it. They just do it. And my point to you is, there's no fucking ice compromise for what I'm doing. There's no fucking ice compromise. So every time I'm thinking, like, what I want to do, what I'm trying to do here, what I'm trying to make, you know, the podcast and get that out together, no matter what way I hit the fucking till, no matter what way I go, I hit speed up too fast, I slow down too slow, I go any direction too zigzaggy. There's just always, there's no ice compromise here. That's not one cup fits all. So no matter what I do, it's too vanilla. It's too hot. It's too much BDSM. Anyway, anyway. I've got one person, I gotta assume it's a guy at this point, and he's gotta be my biggest fan. And all I know is, no matter what I do anymore, no matter what I write anymore, no matter what I put up, no matter where I put it up, no matter how, I'm going to get a Tumblr anon, no matter how many times I block this dude. I think it's a dude, I really do. It could be a woman. If it's a woman, let me know, because I know you gotta be listening. There's gonna be a dude who says that he wants more of me pressing my ass to his face. You could be a woman. She could be a gal. There's got to be a gal asking that I press more ass to her face. And I gotta say, at first I thought it was annoying. It was like, take the hint. <laughs> I've blocked you enough times. I'm obviously not going to do ass to mouth. It's not happening. But now at this point, I have to say, it's just comforting. It's just really comforting that the consistency is there. That no matter what I do, no matter what I make, I'm going to get exactly four reactions. One, silence. Two, praise. Yes, I get both. It's crickets and then praise. Just like an old, you know, cartoon where, like, the kid would finish their production and there'd be cricket, 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 and then... Just like that, every time. Crickets. Praise, eventually. Crickets. Ellipses, ellipses, ellipses. Praise. Uh... And then somebody will say, no matter what it was, if it was soft, too soft. If it was hard, too hard. If it was soft, more soft. If it was hard, more hard. If it was uh, fetish, more fetish. If it was fetish, less fetish. 
All of those, all those conditions will be met every time. That's just number three. And then sometime after that, number four will be somebody with a tongue emoji. Lots of tongue emojis, lots of licking applied. I want your big meaty ass on my face. Put your big meaty ass right on my face. I want your meaty ass nom 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 nom. More meaty ass stories. Your ass is so meaty, I want to eat it. Sometimes, the ass person will go ahead and they... Normally, I don't, like, if you're thinking, like, I shouldn't DM him because he's going to make fun of me. I've talked about blocking this person multiple times. That's how far you have to go for me to even gently rib you. Because I don't even think I'm taking this asshole to task, quite frankly. I'm just, like, they're just a fun little NPC in the animal in the Animal Crossing that's become my life, as far as I'm concerned. They're a, they're a crazy random encounter I haven't figured out how to solve yet. I don't have the right fishing rod or some stuff. So please, do DM me. I promise I'm not going to talk about your shit with anybody else unless I have blocked you, blocked you, blocked you. But then at the, be- at the end of it, no matter what I fucking do, there's always going to be ass. There's just always going to be ass. And And so, for anybody out there who's wondering, like, does he really know what it's like to be a woman? Does he really understand it? Does he really get what it's like? Like, he, he pretends, he tries to talk a big game. Does he really understand? Does he, can he really empathize with a woman's perspective? And the answer is, no, I can't. I'm still constantly finding out shit where I'm like, really? You have to do that? I still, all the time, I'm like, oh, right, you have to be afraid of Ubers, okay? Like, every six months, I'm like, oh, right, if I was a woman, I couldn't have done that. I'm still, every once in a while, I hit. So the answer is no. No. But on one occasion, I do know what it's like. And that is, I know what it's like to do a 12-hour day, to wake up, to motivate yourself to work out, and do your skincare, and do your practice, and do your chores, and eat right, even though you've got the money and the time, and nobody will ever love you, and you've never had a boyfriend in your fucking life, and that's how long it's been, as it feel like, and you haven't had sex, and there's no reason, you've got to shave, and I have to do that, and then you sing, and then you got to put away, but then you got to be pleasant with everybody, too, because you can't put anybody else off, because you got to be good, you got to be good to everybody, you have to put on a good fucking face, you have to be good to everybody, so you have to put that on, you can't be negative, if you're negative, then you know what they're going to call you, so you got to put that out, you got to put that out there, and and at the end of their fucking 12-hour day, where you put everything out, and you worked hard, and you tried to be nice, and you really went for it, and you were pleasant, uh, at the end of the day, you just get told via DM by someone you've ignored that you're nothing but an ass to them. You're just an ass. And they just want to fuck your ass. Ooh, look at that ass, baby. Mm, ass. So, I, mean, I don't know what it's like to be a woman. But in this scenario, at least, I've run a few simulations, and I have a couple of ideas. All right. That is the opening monologue. I hope you all enjoyed it. You should definitely pay me. You should definitely come on out. Thank you very much for being a fan of The Grey Knight and my project and all the rest. I look forward to your mini LOL I'm talking about your ass. Okay, but that was just the introduction. I really wanted to say that I love your pieces. Uh, messages that I'm going to get after this. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Hope you're well. Hope you can tell that I am amazing. Can you? 
I'm a little subdued because uh, I've been working it so hard lately. But can you tell that like I'm the greatest? Like is that is that coming across? Did you did you realize that I was the best of all time? Is that really there? Okay, because I never know how to hype that up. <laughs> uh, okay, you all do think so. Yay! I love being amazing. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Gosh, what do you think it is? Do you think it's the fire? Is there a fire behind me? Oh my god, is that a title? Did I come up with a title for once? Fire and Ice. <laughs> I came up with a title. I've never done it before. Yay! <laughs> oh, quick quotes. That's exactly what was happening. Serena, you're so good. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read poetry while you guys come up with your quick quotes, and then we'll do quick quotes from poetry into love letters. How about that? Yeah, I'll do quick quotes. That'll give you time to go ahead, or I'll do poetry, give you up time to go with your quick quotes. We'll do ahead, do that, and transition there. Thank you so much, Serena. Appreciate you, darling. Okay. <clears throat> Moving away is only to the boundaries of the self. Better to stay here, I said, leaving the horizons clear. The best journey to make is inward. It is the interior that calls. Elliot heard it. Wadsworth turned from the great hills of the north to the precipice of his own mind and let himself down for the poetry stranded on bare ledges. For some, it is all darkness. For me, too, it is dark. But there are hands that I can take, voices to hear, soldiers that echo. And sometimes... A strange light shines, purer than the moon, casting no shadow that is the halo upon the bones of the pioneers who died for truth. Groping, R.S. Thomas. Beside a spreading elm, for whose high boughs lie knotted tufts, the crowns light-dwelling shows, where, screened from the northern blasts and winter-proof, snug stands the parson's barn with thatched roof, a criss-cross stewed door where, in the morning ray, the gilded moats in mazy circles play, and sleepy comrade in sun is laid, more grateful to the cur than neighboring shade. In snowy shirt unbraced, brown robin stood, and leant upon his frail and thoughtful mood, his full round cheeks where deeper flushes grow, the dewy drops were glisten on his brow, the dark cropped pote and erst of the fair, so smooth and silky showed his morning care, which all uncouth and matted locks combined, now erect defies and ruffle wind, his neck bind loose, hoosen rumpled low, a careful lad, not slack at labor show, nor scrapping chickens chirping amongst the straw, nor croaking rook overheard, nor chattering draw, loud breath co amongst the rampy weeds, nor grunting so that its furrow feeds, nor a sudden breeze that shakes the quaking leaves, and lighting rustles through the scattered sheaves, no floating straw, no skies antward his noise, the deeply musing youth may decompose, for Nelly fair, the blightest village maid, whose tuneful voice beneath the hedge grows shade, 
spade, an early milking over the meadows born. Everyone cheered the plowman's toil, all raised morn. The neatest maid that ever in linen gown bore cream and butter to the market town. The tightest lass with untutored air ever footed alehouse floor and walk a fair. Since Easter last had Robin's heart possessed and many a time disturbed his nightly rest. Full oft returning from the loosened plow, he slackened his pace and knit his thoughtful brow, and oft ere half the thasher's talk over would muse with worms across a cooling door. His mind thus bent, with downcast eyes he stood, and leant upon the fail and thoughtful mood. His soulful over many a remembrance ran, and muttering to himself, the youth began. Ah, happy is the man whose early lot hath made his master a furnished cot, who trains the vine to round his window grows, and after setting sun his garden hose, whose wetted plants and enclosed shield, who toils not daily in another's field, whenever he goes the church or market town with more respect he as his dog unknown a brisker face he wears at wake or fair no view with longing eyes or peddler wear but buys at wills a red brand gloves or beads and willing maidens at the alehouse leads and oh secure from toils with clumber life he makes the maid he loves an easy wife ah nelly canst thou with contended mind become thy helpmate of a laboring hind and share his lot whatever the chances be who hath no dower but love to fix on thee yes gayeth maid and meekest matron prove and things of little note may token love when the church thou claimest an even tide and the red-head susan by thy side i pulled the blossoms from the bending tree and some to susan gave and some to thee thine were best and well thy smiling eye the differences marked and guessed the reason why when on holiday we ramble straight and passed on Holt's cottage in the glade. Neat was the garden dressed, sweet hummed the bee. I wished both Cot and Nelly made for me, and well, methought, thy very eyes revealed the same safe which within thy breast concealed. When artful one, I sought my love to tell, and spoke to thee, to one of love thee well, who saw the chest, and jeering homeward hide, yet secret pleasure in look I spied. Ah, gayest maid, May maketh matron prove, and smaller signs of these have tokened love. Now, at a distance, on a neighboring plain, with creaking wheels slow comes the heaven wane. High on its towering load a maid appears, and Nelly's voice sounds shrill in Robin's ears. Quick from his hand he throws his cumbrous flail, and leaps with lightsome limbs and enclose pale. Over field and fence he scours, and furrows wide, what waketh Cumbrad barking by on his side, whilst tracks of trodden grain and sidelong hay and broken hedge-flowers sweet mark his impetuous way. A Reverie by Joanna Bale B-A-I-L-L-I-E. I'm going to go with ballet. One second. Second. Wow. That was uh, very intense. Uh, it seems like it was about love and economics in there at first reading. Uh, quite a bit going on there. Whew. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you who requested it. <clears throat> 
I like to touch your tattoos in complete darkness. When I can't see them, I'm sure of where they are. I know by heart the neat lines of lighting pulsing just above your nipple, confined as if by instinct. The blue swirls of water on your shoulder where a serpent twists, facing a dragon. When I pull you to me, taking you until we're spent and quiet on the sheets, I love to kiss the pictures in your skin. They'll last until you're seared on asses. <clears throat> They'll last until you're seared to asses. Wow. They'll last until you're seared to ashes. Whatever persists or turns to pain between us, they will still be there. Such permanence is terrifying. So I touch them in the dark, but touch them trying. First poem for you by Kim Adonzio, A-D-D-O-N-I-Z-I-O. I'm going to go with Adonzio. I'm going to go with the base name of Adonis. <clears throat> what do I see in you? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I see mountains and rivers and lifetimes of joy. I see the sun shining on the grayest day. I see clouds of silver lining my way. What do I see in you? Oceans of blue, colorful rainbows, morning dew, trees of glory displaying leaves of green. I see goodness and beauty in all living things. I hear creatures of darkness prowling in the night, but I'm safe in your arms as you hold me real tight. I feel whispers of the wind entwining my soul. I feel you breathing that makes me whole. I hear the rain falling, the sun on my face. I feel the shadows of darkness as you are my embrace. I feel happiness and laughter, tears and sorrow. But without you, my love, there would be no tomorrow. I feel thunder and lightning whenever you're near. I feel whispers of love which bring to my ear. But of all the things that nature may bring, it's your love. I cherish above everything. What do I see in you? Sheila Bullman. Very interesting poems tonight. <clears throat> Very eclectic. She holds her hair up with only two chopsticks and a bobby pin. Think Atlas. Think shoulders. When the sadness starts to feast, she carries the light down from the mountain and hands it to you, tells you to set it on fire. Think Prometheus. Think Savior. On Sunday, she steps out of the shower, and you don't think you've ever seen anything more beautiful than the way she walks towards you with a towel on her hand. Water clinging to her like there's nowhere else it would rather be. Think Aphrodite. Think Seafoam. You love her like mythology. You love her like impossible stories of gods and monsters. When she think, sings, think fairies, think mermaids, think hymns. 
She is the face of the river thick Narcissus fell in love with, confusing hers for his own. She is Medusa's fury, Athena's strength, Achilles's healing. You are kissing her in a crowded restaurant, and it feels like praying. You are watching her instead of a meteor shower, and you don't even notice. Mythology by Caitlin Seal, S-I-E-H-L Bump, bump, bump. Getting violent. Haven't even been drinking tonight. I'm already violent with you girls on Valentine's Day. That's not a great sign. Gosh, you can only imagine what I'm going to be like by midnight. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Haven't they moved like rivers, like glory, like light, over the seven days of your body? And wasn't that good? Them at your hips. Isn't this what God felt when he pressed together the first beloved? Everything, fever, vapor, atman, pulses. Finally, a sin worth hunting for. Finally, a sweet a, you are mine. It is not hard to have faith in this. From the blue bright clay of night to the two potters crushed and smothered you into being. Grind, then curve, built your form up, atlas of bone, fields of muscles, one breast a fig tree, the other a nightingale, both morning and evening. O oh, beautiful making that they do of trigger and carve, suffering and stars, and they, too, the dark carpenters of your small church. Have they not burned the altar of your belly, eaten the bread of your thighs, broke to you wine, the ichor, the nicarious feast? Haven't they riveted your wrists? Haven't they had you at their knees, and when their hands touched your throat, showed you how to take the apple? to the rib, how to slip the thumb into your mouth and taste it all. Didn't you sing out their ninety-nine names? Zaphir, Erif, Hand Time Seven, Sphinx, Leonidas, Locomotive, Rubidum, August and September. Oh, when you cried out, oh, Prometheans, didn't they bring fire? These hands if not gods, then why, when, have you come to me? And I have returned you to that from which you came. Bright mud, mineral, salt. Why then do you whisper, O oh, my Hecateranchere, my Sentimani, my hundred-handed one? These hands... If Not Gods, by Natalie Diaz. Interesting. A lot of references to Prometheus and Atlas tonight. Very interesting. <clears throat> I wonder if two girls submitted those two poems or one person submitted both. Interesting. <clears throat> Whenever I'm away from you, the distance between us... A Buddhism thing, I always think of you in colors. The smell of coffee, as you proudly make for me, the perfect sunlight spilling through the window. 
I miss you even when you are beside me. I dream of your body even when you are sleeping in my arms. Two words. I love you. Could never be enough. I suppose we'll have to invent new ones. A Poem by Christopher Poindexter <clears throat> I love you for what you are, but I love you yet more for what you're going to be. I love you not so much for your realities as your ideals. I pray for your desires that they may be great, rather than for your satisfactions, which may be so hazardously little. A satisfied flower is one whose petals are about to fall. The most beautiful rose is one that is hardly more than a bud, wherein the pangs of ecstasies and desire are working for a larger and finer growth. Not always shall I be what you are now. You are going forward towards something great. I am on the way with you, and therefore I love you. I Love You by Carl Sandburg. <clears throat> when I tell my husband I miss the sun, he knows what I really mean. He paints my name across the floral bed sheets and ties the bottom corners to my ankles. Then he paints another for himself. We walk into town and play the shadow game, saying, Oh, I'm so sorry for stepping on your shadow, and please be careful. My shadow is caught in the wheels of your shopping cart. It's all very polite. Our shadows get dirty just like anyone's, so we take them to the laundromat, the one with the 1996 Olympics-themed pinball machine, and watch our shadows warm against each other. We bring the shadows game home, and this is my favorite part. When we stretch our shadows across the bed, we get so, so tangled, my husband grips his own wrist, certain it's my wrist, and then he kisses it. Uh, when I tell my husband I miss the sun, Paige Lewis. Very sweet, but a little bit confusing. <laughs> I'm not sure I understood that one. All right. <clears throat> it ends with a kiss, though, so everyone's happy. Uh, all right, last poem. Here we are. I would sleep with the thought of you, with the silhouette of a single memory, with the scent left hours after you touched me. I would lose myself in the folds of your dress, the fabrics of the shirt you wore, when you fell asleep, leaned against my shoulder. Paint me in the soft focus fog of your tenderness. Pull me from myself. Untitled by Tyler Knott Gregson. And those were some really, really lovely poems. Thank you to everybody. Appreciate it and you. If you have some quick quotes, of course, you can get them in now. Let's go ahead and get them on up. Thank you to everybody who came out. Uh, if you want me to say your name or a quick quote, all you got to do out for absolutely free is come on out to a live show, Fridays, 10 Eastern, on the server. Find out more on my Twitter. Won't you please come? 
all these requests, all of the show. The women who come out are amazing. I'm in a good mood. Every single show, 2020 so far, I'm going to do my best. Have an amazing attitude each and every time. Having a great Valentine's Day. I'm a lucky, lucky, lucky boy. Here we go. Thank you so much to all the girls who came out. <clears throat> Lick it clean, you wonderful little girl. Fuck, roses. I want a bouquet of garlic bread. <clears throat> Nothing like coming home to a good girl after a stressful day. Proud of you. You did so well this week. Let's just cuddle. Good girl from making it to the gym. Snugging up, baby girl. I've got you. Oh, baby girl. I'm so proud of you. You are mine, little girl. You did so well putting yourself out there this week, baby girl. I'm so proud of you. Mwah. Anyone else? Anyone else? There we go. <clears throat> Any babies want daddy valentine kisses? <laughs> and I would kiss you all too. We're all going to die of COVID-19 anyway. Well, you're all going to die of COVID-19 anyway. So I would kiss you right before you went. Why not? To the afterlife. I'm told that we're like consumption fucks. Back when like tuberculosis was really, really popular. Like people, like the kids couldn't stop getting it. Like it was a huge fad. Like they'd be like, well, I got consumption. You want to get it before I, before I rot? <laughs> it's kind of like that. <laughs> I mean, I'm dying. We both know what the mortality rate of this motherfucker is, so uh, you you wanna you wanna hit it while I'm still capable of standing, or <laughs> hey baby, I ain't bleeding from an orify yet. Plague plague uh, plague culture hit cookup is uh, is a little different than others. <laughs> I'm going to be real honest. I don't know how you die from tuberculosis. I probably just, like everybody who knows how you die from tuberculosis, I just know how you get it from listening to the first 50 episodes of Lore. I just know where tuberculosis lives from listening to the Lore podcast. I don't really know much about it besides I don't want to die that way. That's all I really know. <laughs> I know. I know where to get tuberculosis on the Northeast Corridor of America like a motherfucker. Besides that, not really that that familiar with it. Um, I was really disappointed, I remember, because I heard about consumption, 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 this disease. And I thought it was like this exotic disease, you know? 
I thought there was this disease that was only around in the 1800s, you know, that was its own thing. Consumption got all these people. And it's only ever women that they ever, I've never heard a man ever have consumptions. Did they just say that he had TB? Or did they just say like, oh, he was a dude, who cares? Was the diagnosis back then like man or woman? And then with woman, you had diseases like man, cause of death, penis? See, I saw Moulin Rouge, and I knew that she was sick, but I didn't give a shit what she had. So I never cared. <laughs> I accepted that she was sick, and that she was a manipulative person, and I thought, okay. I know these two things about you, and I care one more than the other. <laughs> I was a very different guy back then, so if your introduction to a female character is... Another guy telling her how she's going to manipulate the guy that I'm supposed to identify with. I didn't particularly like that female character back then. Now I love her. I've grown a lot. I've, my Pokemon has evolved, and now I'm much more secure with myself. So now I think she's an interesting character. But back then I was like, hey, he's just trying to be nice. I've learned some things about the world. Now I'm like any woman who's got her knives out for a minute. I'm like, that's right. She fucking learned. When the rest are you gonna? When the rest are you gonna learn? <laughs> Tactic number one, be nice. Tactic number two, jugular. <laughs> Don't fuck around. What are you doing? <laughs> no more quick quotes on a Valentine's Day after all the amazing content with all the new girls who came out. All right. Well, I'm trying to sell my fucking ice and fried chicken here. So you guys tell me how to do it. You honk Gus Fring and you tell him what he needs to do. Sell more chicken. Because I'm in the chicken selling business. You're going to yell at it anyway. And I can tell you right now, the survey is going to be more of this thing. Less of this thing. Put your ass on my face. Just telling you right now what the Family Feud answers are going to be. <laughs> Show me ass on face. Ding. One. Every time. Ding. One. If I ever need to steal. <laughs> I know it's there. Because the other team is never going to guess it. What are the top fetishes you get? You want an honest answer to that one? You want an honest answer? I've broken it down mathematically. You really want to know? You really want to know what the number one request I get is? I've broken it down mathematically. The number one request I get is to respond. That's true. That's a true story. My fantasy is that you'll respond to this. And I, and I don't know what to do with that. If you've sent me that, I don't respond. But it's not you. Let me just say before I get into love letters. It's not you and it's very sweet and I want to fulfill your fantasy. Here's the problem. Like, an unreasonable amount of the time, somebody has sent that message to me going, I just want you to respond. You're so busy and you're so sexy and you'll never even see this. And I just want you to respond. It would be so great. Right? And then 
inordinate percentage of the time that I've responded to that message, it's gone exactly this way. So anyway, I was telling my friend that you were actually like way too old for me and like uh, like old dick is like gross. But like I was also thinking like maybe I should DM you anyway and like. Or like it seems like this very gentle invitation, like it seems like this very proper thing like, dearest sir, it is my greatest my greatest honor, if you would respond to this missive, if we could engage in some kind of meeting of the minds, and then I'll respond, right? Because it seems like so nice and proper and like it's very polite. And I'll respond. It's all like, what you doing? Shaving my pussy for you about to take pics. I'm just here watching Criminal Minds for the seventh time. I really like one of the guys. I think you got a voice that sounds like him. You want to see my cooter? Hey, hey, were you on Vampire Diaries? Season six? I'm in Texas. You like Texas girls? So it's not you, it's it's me, because I don't know what to do with that one-two punch anytime it happens. Here's the thing. Like I get off this, this is still this is this is me. First off, I wax. I'm sorry, Kendra's like, first off, I wax. I'm sorry. I was making fun of Kendra there. Now everybody knows. Now everybody knows it's Kendra. Now if we can only get the person who comes out and talks about the ass. The ass to lips, then we'll have everything solved. Sorry, Kendra. Kendra did talk about waxing first. So, thank you for playing along, Kendra. You're great. <laughs> so, it's not you. It's me. I don't date. The last, the last couple of women I've asked out in person, they all rejected me. And then the last couple of women that asked me out, I said yes to. And I just, I, they were, they, they were attractive and nice women, but just, it wasn't into it. Like, I kept thinking, like, hmm, I don't know. And so I didn't, I didn't engage. And so after that, I went on a couple of just first dates, and I was just like, no, this isn't working. And they all knew, and they all said something to the effect of, like, well, it's nice, good. You know, they all, they all knew it, too. Uh, no, no, no repeated texts wondering where I was after these dates is what I'm saying. Every, everybody was okay with the disillusion. Uh, but the last couple of times a woman has, has in any way made like an overture that she is going to, that she wants to go out with me or something. I just pretend that I don't know what's happening now because <laughs> I don't know what to do with it. So it's not you. You come on to me and I'm like, it sounds great because I'm like, yeah, I could touch her and not be so lonely and maybe get hugs and eventually maybe have sex. That would be amazing. But then I also think, like, she'd have to talk to me, though. I don't want to put that on anybody. Like, have you ever, like, it's just not worth it to her. It's just not. Like, let's just say there's no crazy left anymore. Like, do you really want, do you really want to be all like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm reading Noam Chomsky. Yeah, I'm doing a tower defense. Yeah, uh, I'll save my maid some eggs later. 
think I'm going to make some eggs and, you know, it's going to keep reading a little bit. Really, this thing about this disease in China, I know everyone's talking about it, but I don't know if everyone's talking about it enough. And I know there's, like, disease experts, and I don't know anything about diseases, and I'm not an expert, but, like, maybe I should talk about it instead of them. You ever think about that? Anyways, I'm going to go make eggs. Fuck me. That's what I think. Like, there's always this girl, she's so attractive, and she's becoming, like, a doctor or something. She's a librarian. She's really interesting. It's like, what do you do? She's like, oh, I'm in analysis in the day, and then at night I'm a, I'm a stripper who does flash wielding, you know, underwater sometimes. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I worked on the Deepwater Horizon. I was a deep rescue diver. Yeah, I was the one who rescue dived in the deep water. You didn't hear about us because I was also a Navy SEAL. Anyways... She's always just, you know, this really interesting and really talented woman. And I'm always like, what am I going to talk to her about? Even when I've got interesting and talented stuff, I'm still not interested or talented in talking about it. Like, even like, yeah, 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 like, I get it and all that stuff. It's like, what do you do? Why, why would I inflict me on you? Don't you get it? There's two kinds of women in this world. Women I'm attracted to and women that I'm not. And the women I'm not attracted to aren't attracted to me either, so we just, we're great. I love them. But the women are, the moment I'm attracted to a woman and she's still talking to me, all I can think is, what's wrong with this? What are you doing? Every, every minute, everything, I, everything that comes out of my mouth that you don't immediately reject me for makes you more suspicious. Don't you understand? <laughs> we just got done talking about how your ex-boyfriend gets launched out of trebuchets at fires so that he can set up base camp for prisoners about to do the same. I'm going to talk about how Jon Stewart wasn't really a liberal for 17 minutes. And then ask you if you've seen Fargo. Like, this is not a relationship for you. Get out! <laughs> Get, what are you doing? <laughs> the, the only reason why I'm going to be a better boyfriend for you than your last fucking boyfriend is... Did my last boyfriend get too much done, pay me too much attention, and could I understand what he was thinking too much of the time? If the answer to those three questions is yes, baby, I'm for you. Baby, come right on over. Was your boyfriend too capable, too cogent, and too considerate? Well, let me tell you about an on-ramp for you. It's called Big Daddy Jack's Boyfriend Emporium. And you should come on over. It's a huge store. It's like a mattress store. It's a big, sad store. There's only one salesman. It's me. I don't have to move a lot of product to stay in business, so I don't try. I don't make an effort at all. The place is staying open whether you drop in or not, so thanks for coming. Uh, come on down. Big Daddy Jack's Boyfriend Emporium, where if you've given up, but you don't got enough money to go to Italy. It's a reference to everybody who was in here this morning and read the article. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. That is the segment section where I ad lib.
and I asked for money afterwards because I like putting on a show. If you like me putting on a show and you like that kind of bullshit where I just free associate, come on out. You coming out makes it more possible. Plus, I get higher. And the higher I get, the more I Ron Burgundy. That's all there is to it. <laughs> uh, in a way, that's what I'm doing when I free associate because I got to keep myself in it because what I want to do is apologize. Just like everybody else, I want to do the exact same things. I want to apologize for taking up time. I want to say, what am I doing? But then you're sitting here listening to me doing it. So I got to remember to keep in the zone. Like, this is my thing. People really enjoy it. If they don't, they skip over it. They keep it in the 15 seconds. Eh. Some people really enjoy the free association. I'm one of them with other podcasters, too. I love solo podcasters podcasting. When they get lost in the fucking woods and they're a solo person, oh, baby, that's my favorite. I love it. The only time I don't like it when podcasters get lost is when there's two of them and they have a subject matter on the podcast. I'm like, get back to the subject, you assholes. I'm not here for you. I'm not here for you and your petty thoughts. Why are you talking about Burger King? I'm here for genocide. If you listen to enough podcasts, that's exactly what it is. Podcasts are very, very serious, but they're also just day jobs that people do for years. And so it will be this discussion of like, and then MSB killed 117 children. Children love playground equipment, and playground equipment is made by Mako. Like, I mean, that's just that's just how they go. And, like, their conversations have to be the exact same way. And so it'll be like, yeah, 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 and you use sarin gas. And the other person's like, sarin gas? I put gas in my car. It's like, yeah, yeah, I put gas in my car the other day, too. And they'll get lost in the woods on the podcast, much like I'm doing now. And I just lose my mind. I lose my fucking head every time. I'm like, what do you, I don't care about this. But when it's some, a, a person, there's a guy who has a voice where he just talks and he puts you to sleep. It's called the Nightly Pleasures Podcast. So the voice where a guy has a nice voice and he puts you to sleep, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say what the name of the podcast is, but that's the whole premise is he has a very nice and relaxing voice and it puts people to sleep and he just kind of talks. He puts, he puts out two or three episodes a week. Uh, I've listened to him. And I started listening at the beginning. This is when I need help to sleep. I don't need help no more. Uh, and he would, you know, at the beginning, he was all like, you know, trying to put on a show. But I learned, boy, that guy is really best if you go in blind. And then I'll get the name of him later. And then you skip to like minute 45 or something into one of his podcasts. After he's been alone and vamping for 45 minutes, listen to how good and how confident I am at it. All right? Because I'm actually pretty fucking good at vamping. I'm pretty fucking good at it. At the ad lib, at the improv, I can bring out the association. And this guy, I'm not, I'm not trying to dismiss him. I'm just saying I'm a little bit better at free association. I'm a little bit better of a bullshitter. I think this guy may have more friends and loved ones and people who respect him and obligations. And with me, it's just me and my big dumb head all the time. So I'm really good at pulling things out of my big dumb head right when I need them. It's just me and the big dumb head all my life. So there it is. But this guy, like 45 minutes in, oh, man, it gets real interesting real fast. Like, it's never aliens. It's never ghosts. It's never government conspiracies. It's always just like, and the gear. But I was looking at the gear, and I was realizing that the teeth didn't quite align. And I was wondering, did they always not align? Or was this why the machine wasn't working? And 
I was wondering. And like, <laughs> you go in, you don't, I'm like, it's so tempting. I'm like, ooh, I want to go back and find out how we got here. But don't do it. Press on. Like it's a stranger conversation and you're just passing by and you're listening to someone like really focused about these gears. And then, because you do it this way, it's the greatest fucking payoff because three or four minutes into this, he'll go like, so, like he'll, he'll stop and like he'll, he'll finish. And I'm doing an impression. I'm mad living, obviously. But like, so I sit back and I look at it and all the gears are turning now and I realize that everything's in order and I realize that the machine's working. So it was a lot like the panini that I had is what I'm saying. It's like, yes! Yes, this is what I'm here for! Fuck yeah! The intricate four-minute gear speech was about a sandwich and then he goes on to the next topic. Fuck yes! Everyone does it. I do it. I'm not crazy. Oh, I fell asleep so many times just smiling that I wasn't as crazy as I thought before that podcast. Oh, so many times I think I would get to the end of an analogy and be like, you know, it's like this thing. And I go, that's insane. No one's ever, ever going to respect you. And it only turned out to be half true. Okay, let's move on to the love letters. (laughs) My dear little girl. For a long time, I've been wanting to write you in the evening after one of those outings with friends that I will soon be describing in A Defeat, the kind where the world is ours. I wanted to bring you my conqueror's joy and lay it at your feet, as they did in the age of the Sun King, and then tired out by all the shouting. I always simply went to bed. Today I'm doing it to feel the pleasure you don't know yet, of turning abruptly from friendship to love, of strength to tenderness. Tonight I love you in a way that you have not known me. I'm neither worn down by travels nor wrapped up in desire for your presence. I am mastering my love for you and turning it inward as a constituent element of myself. This happens so much more often than I admit to you, but seldom when I'm writing to you. Try to understand me. I love you while paying attention to external things. As to Luce, I simply loved you. Tonight, I love you on a spring evening. I love you with the window open. You are mine, and things are mine, and my love alters the things around me, and the things around me alter. My love. J.P. Sartre to Simone Julevet. I didn't know Sartre called his lover little girl. Fucking fascinating. Did she call him daddy? Are we got, do we get another papa coming out of this? Does anybody know some Sartre? <laughs> Sartre's very respected fucking writer of the 20th century. So interesting. All right, one more love letter for Valentine's Day, and here we go. Oh, Henry, I was so upset by your letter this morning when I was given to me all the artificial pent-up feelings overwhelmed me. The very touch of the letter was as if you had taken me into your arms. You know now what I first read it. You said everything that would touch and win and was was moist and so impatient that I was doing everything to gain a day. This note I'm enclosing, which I wrote to you last night two hours after mailing my letter, will help you to understand what is happening. Anyway, you must have received the telegram at almost the same time. I belong to you. 
We're going to have such a week such as we've never dreamt yet. The thermometer will burst. I want to feel again the violent thumping inside of me, the rushing, burning blood, the slow, caressing rhythm and the sudden violent pushing, the frenzy of pauses when I hear the raindrop sounds, how it leaps to my mouth, Henry. Oh, Henry, I can't bear to be riding to you. I want you desperately. I want to open my legs so wide. I'm melting and palpitating. I want to do things so wild with you that I don't know how to say them. Knees. Don't expect me to be sane anymore. I came away with the pieces of you sticking to me. I can't see how I can go on living away from you. These intermissions are death. You became a woman with me. I was almost terrified by it. You are not just thirty years old. You are thirty thousand years old. Here I am back and still smoldering with passion, like wine smoking. Not a passion any longer for flesh, but a complete hunger for you. A devouring hunger. I feel murderous. I feel somehow that it is a disgrace to do nothing, just to bide one's time, to take it philosophically. To be sensible. Where has gone the time when men fought, killed, died for a glove, a glance? I still hear you singing in the kitchen. I know you're happy in the kitchen and the meal you're cooking is the best meal we ever ate together. I know you would scowl yourself and not complain. I feel the greatest peace and joy sitting in the dining room listening to you rustling about your dress like the goddess Indra studded. With a thousand eyes, a knees, I only thought I loved you before. I was nothing like this, certainly, and that's in me now, was all that wonderfully, only because it was brief and stolen. Was I less I, or more I, or less you, or more you? When and where would the drab moments begin? I study you so much to discover the possible flaws, the weak points, the danger zones. I won't find them, not any. That means I am in love, blind to be blind forever. All morning I was at my notes, ferreting through my life records. The walls are completely bare. The spots on the walls stand out where the heads rested. While it thundered and lightning, I lie on bed and go through wild dreams. We are in Seville, and then we are Capri, and then Havana. We're journeying constantly, but there is always a machine in books. Your body is always close to me, and the look in your eyes never changes. People are saying we will be miserable, we will regret, but we are happy. We are laughing always. We are singing. We are talking Spanish and French and Arabic and Turkish. We are admitting everywhere that they strew our path with flowers. I say this in the wild dream I want to realize. Life and literature combined. Love the dynamo. You with your chameleon soul giving me a thousand lovers. Being anchored away in no matter what storm, however we are. In the mornings continuing where we left off. Resurrection after resurrection. You asserting yourself. Getting the rich varied life you desire. And the more you assert yourself... The more you want me, need me. Your voice getting hoarser, deeper. Your eyes blacker, your blood thicker, your body fuller. A voluptuous civility and tyrannical necessity more cruel now than before, consciously, willfully cruel. The insatiable delight of experience.
Well, that was fucking something. Love letters between Anise Nin and Henry Miller. I had no idea Henry Miller could fucking write like that. Henry Miller, why the fuck didn't you write like that in your fucking plays? I had no idea that dude could write like that. That was awesome. That was the best sexual letter that we've read so far, I think. I mean, do uh, thank you to absolutely everybody who's ever submitted a love letter of any time. But I think that was the best. What a great V-Day treat that was. Wow, bringing down the house as far as I'm concerned. So fucking sexy. That was so sexy. I've, I've, I've talked about it before. I'm kind of obsessed right now with, uh, with uh, 1800s New Orleans. Uh, and, and, and one thing that's, that's very big about that, of course, is it's this very multicultural society. All the, all the money and all these products and all these shippers are coming in from Africa, from the Caribbean, uh, and from Europe. And they're coming straight in there. So, of course, there's a big multicultural society going on. So there's a lot of forbidden... There's a lot of forbidden, like, ooh, I really want this person, but they're from this culture. Because it's not just race back then. Like, yeah, of course, race is a huge issue back then. No doubt about it. But it's not just race. Like, white people are pretty, uh, white and black are, are much bigger racial divide. No doubt. Let me just say that firmly. But beyond that, once you start exploring it, there's a real, there's a real difference in people's mind if you're from the Anglican races, if you're, if you're from uh, the Catholic white races, if you're, if you're a Creole, uh, if you're, if you're, there's all these different terms for black, and then there's the Creole people, and, and everybody thinks of their identity as the identity in this region. It's a big, powerful region, and all these different groups have a fair amount of money and influence. But of course, they're people, and people want to fuck each other. People, you can't tell someone what's attractive. You can try all, all day long. You can say, this is what an attractive person looks like, all you fucking want. That's not how it works. <laughs> so there's a lot in this period, even though there's a lot of uh, all the money and power and all this prestige, there's a lot of, oh, I want to fuck him so bad, but I can't because then my family will kill us both. And I was just kind of thinking about that pent up, you know, if, if these people had liaisons and what had you, that's how they had to have them was writing and, and sending messages back and forth and then being able to be away from the world for a period of time. That week that Anise was was hinting at and I was like god it's so hot it is so hot um and it's so funny because of course it's just like texting now it's just like that moment now where you've been dming somebody back and forth online from somewhere else now and then you're like wait is this gonna happen and then you gotta cross that point where you're like we gotta make a decision because <laughs> you know lodging and and shifts and all that we gotta decide and then after you decide that boom Boom. It's all of a sudden everybody's messages go from like, oh, it was so nice. It was so nice to see you too. You better fucking shave that cunt. You better fucking shave that cunt. I'm going to be talking to you that cunt. You better fucking shave that cunt. That's how it goes with me at least. I don't know how it works with other people, but it's like, dearest Mistrum, we have to decide, would you like this Airbnb or that one? Upon what date should I arrive? And then we go through all that and then we do it. It's like, cool. Okay, well, now you have to tell me that pussy's mine. Is that pussy fucking mine? Is that pussy fucking mine or not? Like, it's just like it's an instant switch. Like, come on. I just laid down 500 bones for this. Let's go. Let's go. This is now happening. This is now foreplay. This is now foreplay until I'm physically inside you. Let's... Oh, no one's laughing. Okay, well, shit. Uh-oh. It's not funny to anybody else? Fuck. Oh, no. Am I doing something wrong? All the women are just staring at me like, oh, 
Oh, no. Jack, that's not how you do it. <laughs> that's how I do it. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't gotten any complaints yet. That's, ex- I do it like a lawyer, too. We switch, we switch over, right? Like, we'll do the topic, and we'll do that, and I'll like, and then I'll get the air ticket. And then I've not done this a lot. I haven't done it recently at all. I'll get the ticket, right? I'll book the place. We'll have discussed it and all that. And then, like, I'll hand over the evidence. I'll hand over the proof. And uh, here are uh, my details on the flight. Yes, very good for your proof. And uh, here uh, is the booking that we agreed to. As you can see, all the stipulations are agreed to. Uh-huh, very good. Uh-huh. And if you can just go ahead and turn around and spread them for me, please. Assume the position. Okay, very good. Very good. Very good. Okay. Yes, I, yes, I, I do believe the covenant is sealed. Uh, no, I'm afraid I will not be calling you baby or sweetness until after uh, you have consumed, uh, as by contract, two loads. Two loads for good girl. No, that's the deal. You want the nice talk, you got to make it happen. All right. <laughs> hope everyone had a good Valentine's Day show. hope everyone's been enjoying the contact. hope everyone's having... <laughs> Go with whatever title you want, Allie. Your titles are much better than mine. Uh... Just don't take my fire and ice out so I can have people go, Daddy's fire and ice is better. It's a Robert Frost reference. We love Daddy more. (laughs) I'm just kidding. The idea that the women would defend me over Allie is a fantasy. I linked several memes today that didn't get any laughs about, like, what a guy's sexual fantasy on Valentine's Day were, and they were all, like, a guy getting hugged or, like, a woman bringing a guy a video game and some food, you know? Like, I'm just being real with you. Like, that's kind of my Valentine's Day fantasy at this point in my life. And, like, they were all, you know, just kind of cute little memes. My actual Valentine's Day fantasy is if me and Allie ever get into a fight that any of you will ever take my side. That's my fantasy. And I live for it. Because it's it's for sure. Like, we've never gotten into a fight that you had to choose our sides. But I know where you're all going. It's like if I punch the cat. It doesn't matter if she was rabid and I had to do it to defend myself. All you're going to hear is, he punched the cat? That's it. There's no winning. (laughs) Okay. We exited the playing area wearing grimaces and wry smiles. A narrow, low-scoring defeat. I push the gate a little harder than I mean to and clang loudly against the pitch wall. Whoops, sorry. I say to Greta, who is walking just ahead of me, I'm good. She said, then laughing once. Frustrated? Ah, yeah. It was actually more exhaustion. The gate had slipped from my grasp as I'd opened it, not lingering post-max anger, but I saved a few jewels agreeing with her. If they just put that one one away... She trailed off. James told her not to worry about it. The rest of us chimed in with agreement. I felt bad for Greta and Kelly. Us guys always tried to sub off if we're running out of steam, but... As the only female members of our team, they had to play a full game every week. And it's not unfair to credit to say that she's a big woman. In fact, she wears her size proudly and unapologetically. It does, however, mean that she finds the last five minutes pretty grueling, 
even at our team's relaxed pace. We weren't bad skill-wise, but there was an unspoken agreement that we weren't going to kill ourselves or each other trying to win at lunchtime indoor soccer. As a result, we tended to lose close games to opponents who wanted it a bit more. They always seemed to be more coherent, more attuned to each other's styles, and this might have something to do with the fact that we all worked in different departments of the company, descending on the arena for a few different offices. In fact, I was the team's sole representative from our Sky Saint building. The warm summer sun had assaulted us once we stepped outside the air-conditioned arena. I said goodbye and walked in the opposite direction from my teammates, who mostly walked back to the workstation. Once back in my building, I walked past the elevator, down small passageways, and straight to the shower cubicle without knocking. It was a small office I'd always had the shower to myself. This time was no exception. To be honest, I'm not sure anyone else even knew it was there. It wasn't huge, but it was comfortable. One glass-doored shower unit at the end of the room, a hand-brazen mirror on the left as you enter, and opposite, a small bench to sit on. I flicked my nozzle on, shed my soccer gear, and quickly and weary my frame would allow, jumped onto the water, what was still lukewarm. The problem was my manager. We had agreed I could take 45 minutes instead of the allotted half hour for lunch on football days as long as I made up the time at the end of the day. Still, I'd been back at my desk later than expected a couple of times, and he let me know about it. I know he'd been watching my empty chair like a hawk, so I made it my business to be showered and back to work as quickly as possible after the game. When I returned to my desk, still a little damp on the forehead, I checked my time, 12.56, so I had been gone 46 minutes. I was in the clear. He may have been a micromanager, but he wasn't tiring. I gave Crystal a brief match report that evening. It's hard to tell over Skype, but I'm pretty sure her eyes glazed over a few seconds, and I launched into it. I mean, she asked how it went, so I told her, but I always knew she wasn't really interested. All the mm-hmms and ahas without discernible change in facial expression. At the end of it, she just said too bad. Maybe we'll get lucky next week. If you've ever been in a long-distance relationship, you'll recognize this moment. You're trying to connect with each other, but the spark just isn't the same when you're dealing with pixels on a screen and a croaky sound. I felt guilty, but I was starting to treat our evening half-hour chat like a chore to be endured. Except, at the end of it, I didn't have anything to show for it like a pile of clean laundry or a pristine living room floor. But I still loved her. It's just getting hard to recognize the her I'd fallen for before she went to Iowa. Iowa will do that. She seemed to have gotten colder towards me, less ready to smile at my dumb humor, less engaged at the stories I had to tell. Worse, she barely had anything to tell me. No updates on what she was working on, precious few details about the other students in the writer's program. If she didn't want to share any details of her life with me, why was she sharing her life with me? in the first place. I don't know. Maybe it was all in my head. We signed off with the usual I love yous and went back to the lonely comfort of our increasingly independent lives. My upstairs neighbors embarked on a noisy sex session. God, I thought, I'd love to pay them back.
The next day, I was in the kitchen getting coffee when Anna walked in, water bottle in hand. After the usual chit-chat, we talked about work volumes and managers busting our balls to get our process faster. She widened her eyes as she just remembered something and asked how the soccer game had gone the day before. Another loss. I said, we can't catch a break. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> What's the deal? You guys seem to lose a lot. Oh, I don't know. It's not that I'm worried, really. It's just that we don't have to go as a fit as the other teams. <laughs> I thought you were, like, super fit. Her round brown eyes held my gaze after she said this, which I took to indicate sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, I spent years on the gym to get this body. This lanky, uncultivated body. She furrowed her brow a little and then looked up and down and laughed. <laughs> You're such a hard worker. She looked back at me, those eyes again. But I thought you walked home from work each day. Isn't it 45 minutes to get up the hill? Ah, so she was serious. Um, yeah, well, well, it does wonders for my heart, if not my abs. A little self-deprecation to keep it light. You're thinking too much, dude. <clears throat> she smiled and moved to the sink with her water bottle, which she started filling. She shifted slightly along the bench to accommodate her. Suddenly, her physicality seemed to fill the room, the contours of her waist, the small tattoo on the back of her neck, the firm bulge of her calves as she leaned forward slightly to reach the tap. I expanded the gap between us to about half a yard, but it felt like millimeters, and as though she was a magnet pulling me. I used to play football, she said. Back in Puerto Rico. Oh, really? It was hard to imagine Anna, classy, well-dressed Anna, always in heels and brand-name clothing, running around a soccer field. Do you still play? No, I haven't since before I moved here. I asked before so we could actually use another female player. We have to have two women on the pitch, and at the moment we only have two, so there's no sub for them. Huh. She stepped back from the sink and replaced the cap on her bottle. Then she looked at me, and her deep brown lips hinted at a smile. Well, I do miss it. Hey, you should totally join. It'd be great. Bring some gear. Come along next week. <laughs> Is the boss okay with it? Yeah, yeah, you just have to work a little later at the end of the day. Okay. Yeah. You should probably send me a Monday reminder. Otherwise, I'll forget. Just in case I thought she wasn't too eager. <laughs> yeah, you know what she's thinking, dude. <laughs> sure, I said. Uh, thanks. With you, I'm sure we'll get that elusive win. Like a lucky charm, she said. I was reminded of Crystal saying that we might get lucky next week. The difference was the moment had a little tension about it. The strange and powerful awareness of her body had struck me a moment ago, and those deep eyes that seemed to suggest so much. Oh, so, I said with a smile. Outside the gym, everyone fell over themselves praising Anna's superior passing and finishing ability. She scored three goals and set up two, carrying us to our first victory of the season. To be honest, she was on a different level from the rest of us. That second goal, said Kelly. So awesome, said Carl. Please, said Anna. I couldn't have done it without Greta's awesome pass. Greta, not nearly as red and puffed as usual said yes, and jumped right into it. She looked exaggeratedly to the side, as if to check if anyone could hear how dishonest she was being. We all laughed. Okay, guys, we gotta run. I said, 
Got to keep the boss happy. They cheered and sent us on our way. Anna and I turned and stared towards the office. She was smaller on her heels, almost petite, but made most of that size up by walking with her heel up and shoulders back. I couldn't help notice the smoothness and definition of her legs, as well as the tightness of her stomach. She had an athlete's body. You really were very good. I said, did you, did you play professionally back home? Semi-pro. She replied, her usual even brown face had a pleasing post-match blush. If Emil had a few beers provided by the opposition count as payment, we don't really have professional women's sports in Puerto Rico. Man, it's too bad. I said, I mean, I'm happy we get to reap the benefits, though. <laughs> yeah, me too. I enjoyed it. I checked my phone, 1236. Hey, I think we better run back. We want to avoid a sternly worded email. <laughs> oh, shit. Right. Anna started to jog through the busy lunchtime streets. I trailed a few meters behind. She got in the building of the stairs first. I ordered the first shower. And she accepted. She emerged six minutes later, her short, dark hair slightly curled from the steam, and said, All yours. Thanks. I replied, That was quick. But not quick enough. It was after one o'clock by the time I sat back down, and sure enough, the boss had sent an instant message asking me if I'd be staying later in the day to make up the extra minutes. That meant missing my usual train, getting home a half hour later, just in time for the daily Skype call. Not ideal. But I could only say yes and mutter to myself about the limited showering facilities. I barely even remember that afternoon's Skype. I only gotten in the door and didn't properly feel like I'd gotten home yet, so I was distracted and a little flustered. I think we spent a reasonable amount of time with her focusing on why I was flustered and whether I might be getting sick, and me trying to convince her that I was fine and that there was really no need to worry. So funny, the way communication can deteriorate to such a degree that you don't hear each other, even after ten minutes of repeating the same thing. We went again the following week. Anna was the key again. More importantly, her presence seemed to lift the rest of us. We kept our disciplines when she was off the pitch. We worked harder to get in good positions to score. It was high fives all around afterwards, especially from a beaming Greta, who scored her first goal in months. Back in the building, Anna insisted I shower first, and she'd gone forward the previous week. I nodded thanks and dashed in as quickly as possible as I could. I looked a little tense as I exited. 12.55. Sorry. As fast as I could. All good, she said with a grim expression before going in. Crystal and I ended our next Skype conversation early in the afternoon. She said she had an assignment due for workshop the next day, and she didn't have that much new to tell me. I hesitated before speaking, but I couldn't help say something. You don't seem to have a lot to tell me at the moment. What do you mean? Asked Crystal, just when we talk, like. I guess I want to know more about your life there, how you're doing, and what do you want to know about? She seemed irritated. I don't know anything. What you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, I guess. Crystal hardened imperceptibly, and then said, You know... I'm only reflecting what I get from you. The fight escalated, and there was a pause while we avoided each other's gaze. 
Well, I avoided hers. I think she might have actually have continued staring down the barrel at me. It's hard to tell what the placement of the laptop camera means you're never looking properly, and so in the eyes the same way. Look, she said, I'm sorry. I'm a little stressed right now. And then talk to me, I said. I gotta go. She signed off. No goodbye, no I love you. I stared at the screen for half a minute and then got up and put on my soccer gear in the washing machine. It was sweaty and tangible, the opposite of anything to do with Skyping Crystal. I wondered if our connection would feel any more real if she was there in the room with me. It was hard to imagine. The following morning, Anna asked over I am if I had lunch plans. We went to a nearby park together and sat on a concrete bench. She was wearing a well-fitting medium-length blue dress with gold trim. Her pink lipstick shone in the sunlight. I started to notice these things about her. Did the boss message you yesterday? I asked. Yes, he did. You? Anna asked. No, I was back in time, thanks to you letting me shower first. So, you had to stay awake? Yes. God, he's so anal. I know. It was really frustrating because I volunteer after work on Tuesday, so I was a little late to my class. God, I hate being late. You feel like such an idiot. So incompetent. That sucks. I have a standing appointment on Tuesdays after work as well, and I hate being late for it. All true, if not exactly as worthy as volunteering, what can I say? I'm selfish, I guess, but I really wanted to preserve that window of free time each time before our Skype call. It made it a lot easier to be more relaxed, and I thought it was important to give Crystal my best, even if she wasn't giving a lot in return. <laughs> Too bad. I was going to ask if you would mind showering second and staying later, but obviously that won't work. Sorry, I said. It's okay. Crystal and I reconciled somewhat over the following week. We both apologized, and I acknowledged how hard it was to maintain our connection at a distance. I told her how much I had missed her, physically, intellectually. She suggested we reduce our call frequency to twice a week, Wednesdays and Sundays, which I agreed made sense. We give each other a little more room to live and breathe. My first actual thought when she said it was great. The after-football shower problem will be solved. Then maybe showering were where my priorities were. I didn't mention that to her, though. After the game the following Tuesday, a tight 3-3 tie with the top team in division, Anna and I were walking briskly back to the office when she started speaking. I had an idea about the shower thing. Oh, yeah? I was still a little bit out of breath from the game and wanting to conserve energy, my usual selfishness, so I didn't tell her it was no longer a problem. <clears throat> Anna hesitated, and then she said, It's a big shower, so uh, I think it could accommodate both of us. It took me a few seconds to register what she was saying. <laughs> uh, you mean... <clears throat> I know, I know. She laughed nervously, as if disbelieving of what was coming out of her mouth. It sounds insane. We're both adults, though, and we have commitments that we want to keep. There really is no other way. We continued walking in silence a moment. <laughs> My head spun with the myriad paths that we could take, from amazing to terrible. <laughs> Believe me, I tried to think of something, she said, and I was worried about gossip, but nobody ever comes in the shower except for us. I don't even think you can hear it running from the elevator. I was picturing the layout of the ground floor and internally agreeing with the assessment of the shower's privacy when she said, 
Come on, man, don't leave me hanging here. I already feel okay, okay, I said. Okay as in... Okay as in yes. Thinking about that moment later, I wondered why it hadn't felt wrong, why I had only hesitated for a few seconds before agreeing. I knew even then that I wanted this, whether or not Crystal ever found out. It was like I was on the train and I'd started running from that meeting and the work kitchen. There was no way to stop it. I didn't intend for Crystal to find out, obviously, but there had been things between us. I wasn't so concerned that she might. As for the commitment I had no longer keep existing, well, can you blame me for not keeping it straight? Yes. All right, said Anna. Okay, all right. Let's do this. She walked into the building first. I followed her butt, toned in... <laughs> oh, she's become a sexual entity. She walked into the building first. I followed her butt, toned and firm and flared bright orange shorts down the passageway and into the shower. <laughs> Follow that butt! As predicted, nobody saw us. Once inside, I closed the door and locked it where she turned the shower on. Anna turned around, looked me in the eye. She was turning her attention to removing her shoes, and I did the same, trying to focus on what I was doing. I still couldn't help but look across from time to time. I saw that she was still doing the same, sneaking glances at me. It's strange. One of the most erotic moments of the whole thing was seeing her peel off her socks and place her bare feet on the tiles. <laughs> I tried, Story. I tried to take you as seriously as, as I could. But you didn't make it easy, did you? I tried, Story. <laughs> oh, this is definitely written by a man. This may be the most erotic moment for this dude. But knowing women in hygiene and showers, a woman putting her bare foot on a tile floor at an office tile gym is not the most erotic moment for her. She's not <laughs> in an erotic mind. She's at a co-worker's. She's in a shower after a work encounter with co-employees. Trying to get something done before a boss makes her stay late. <laughs> and she's got to touch her bare ass foot to a tile floor. She didn't even bring shower slippers. This is not, this is not a good day for her. This is not a good day for Anna, even if it's a very good moment for you. And by the way, you lied to get her here, chud. <laughs> Did he? This guy never saw Orange is the New Black because that is like a constant theme in the first two seasons of that show is them not going into the fucking bathrooms without flip-flops, just straight up fucking refusing. <laughs> That's like 5% of the first two seasons of that show. Oh, okay, all right. It's out of my... Just, whew, so erotic. So erotic. Oh, athlete's foot, the greatest of sexist diseases, the most, the most, the most touchable topical diseases. <laughs> I'm starting to see why Anna sees there's no other way to get out of the solution than to have them shower at the same time if she doesn't know what shower shoes are. Okay, all right, I'm done dunking on Anna for being a female written by a man. Okay.
Um, oh, a woman. Did you hear what I just did? I just lost half my viewers. A female written by a man. I just lost half of you. I'm done. I just lost half of my viewers. At least it was singular female. I didn't say females. I didn't say females be in showers like. You know bitches be in showers like. Ooh, I'm going to touch my foot to the tile. Maybe we delete all of this. <laughs> okay. Anna is a perfectly sexy Puerto Rican woman. We're going to get back into the sexiness of Anna. <clears throat> it's strange. One of the most erotic moments was when the whole thing of seeing her peel off her socks and place her bare feet on the tiles. I never had a foot fetish. To each their own, it's just not my thing. But here were two pair of her feet stripped for the first time in front of me. Sinewy! And with warm from exertion. I think you have a foot fetish, bro. At that point, I wasn't sure if I should be taking everything off, but that was part of the tension. There would be more flesh revealed. The question was, how much? <laughs> sure, Jan, indeed. Well done. I took the next step quickly, removing my shirt and shorts. She followed soon after. We were watching each other quite openly now. I saw her flat stomach and her most beautiful slow curve between her breast and her hip. She seemed to be focusing on the muscle around my groin. Her underwear was a black lycra and hugged her skin tightly. I felt like my vision might blur or I might suddenly wake up. Somehow, I held myself together. My question on how I was going was answered by her fingers gripping the fabric below her chest and peeling the bra up and over her head. She was now topless before me. Her breast fell slightly as she lowered her arms and dropped the freshly removed garment to the ground, and they were full and oval, larger than I imagined. Her areola were small and raised dark ring around her nipples which stood out a little paler and pinker than the skin around them. Thank God for sports bras, she said with a nervous giggle. I did my best to return the laugh as if there wasn't the most intense and unreal experience I'd ever had. Then she hooked her thumbs into the elastic and slid her underwear down over her feet, revealing a sleek, unevenly tanned legs. Jesus, was it difficult then. I followed suit and removed my underwear. We were now completely naked, and Anna looked at my dick hanging in front of me. You're not fucking aroused? She says something here that I don't know if I want. Like, I just, like, author, I, I don't like clowning on people too much when I'm reading their stuff no more. Uh, but I'm going to say this next line. I'm going to say it under author's objection that I'm saying this next line. This is only because it's written. So here it is. <clears throat> Thank God for briefs too, huh? So apparently, <laughs> apparently she sees his uh, unfurled cock and she thinks it's big and she's going to make a comment. This is not my experience with any woman ever. The only time I've ever gotten a dick comment that was about, like, the size of it from a woman who didn't know, like, it was just, like, coming, is once there was a Swedish woman who pulled down my pants, and she just, I'll never forget it, she just looked down at it, 
And then she looked back at me in an incredibly thick country Swedish accent. She said, oh, nice size. <laughs> Which I, I like telling that story because it's not a brag. She's not saying huge cock. Like if she would, oh, huge cock, I wouldn't say it because that's like, that's like a fun story. The way I tell the story is like, thank you. <laughs> nice isn't, like you can take nice a lot of ways. You can take a nice size dick a lot. Like there's a lot of ways to read this situation. I'm going to interpret it as positive, but not glowing. That's, that's, <laughs> I'm so glad you guys thought that was funny too. Oh, I'm so glad it's a true story. Uh... <laughs> so I'm, I feel like, here's the thing. Uh, maybe I'm revealing that I'm not as good with women and sexuality as I think. Ready? If a woman that you've, been talking to who's invited herself to places with you, invites you into a shower. She doesn't really care about your dick size. She's not, she's made the distinction. She wants the dick, whatever, whatever flavor it's coming in, that's going to be fine with her. She's not going to be commenting she's not going to be commenting on it later she's made the decision she's invited herself out with your friend she's put up with your bullshit workmates she's gotten yelled at at a boss she didn't even snipe at you and she still wants to have sex with you she's not anything more than curious friends she's looked at all the men who have all the dicks in the world and she said you know what i'm gonna go with the one who's not even trying to give it to me whatever he's got and just roll with him for it <laughs> well, yes, of course. The dick should not be diseased. Yes, obviously. I'm just talking about size and ability here. It's not about the dick. <laughs> the dick calculus for her was questioned a long time ago. The only time I think a woman is actually like doing dick calculus is if the guy's a jerk and she's just getting to know him. And he's not too much of a jerk. And she's doing more of a calculus in the back of her mind that's going, do you think the dick is worth the possible jerkiness on this one. That's the only time I really feel like a woman does dick calculus. And it's not often. She has to be pretty horny. She has to be in a dick calculus mood. Women don't 100%... <laughs> I mean, he's kind of being an asshole, and I'm pretty sure when he says he owns his own business that his dad just bought him a rental property when he was 18 to keep him out of jail... But he has bought two appetizers tonight. He mostly makes eye contact with the waitress. He seems like he seems like he could be bulging with some muscle underneath the shirt. I don't know. I think he could get I think I could do this dick. <laughs> Anna looked down to see what she had touched. My dick had gotten even bigger, and my hands were a good seven inches out in front of my groin at this point. The steam in the room was becoming thicker, and I saw Anna's pupils dilate again, this time wider than ever. Instead of recoiling, she's leaping out of the shower. Anna reached down and moved my hands aside. She then took my dick in her hand and began pumping it up and down. 
she started, we don't have much time, so I think this is the quickest way we can get out of here and back to work. I didn't stop her. I just sat quietly. Uh, okay. With her right hand, Anna soaked up the rest of her smooth body, face, neck, crotch, and feet. With her left hand, she slipped my foreskin back and forth over the now fully charged tip of my dick. It was red and pulsing on a honey-brown grip. I looked up at her body and watched her nipples stick out further, if it was too much, so far beyond anything I'd expected and gotten out of bed this morning. And the combination of that shock, the post-match of adrenaline, and the sheer sexiness of the beautiful woman in front of me had me on the verge of orgasm in about 30 seconds. She increased her rhythm steadily, eventually moving her hand fast enough to produce the kind of slopping-smacking sound she held in the sponge out behind her. My right arm bent up at the elbow, and she turned slightly to focus her attention on my pleasure. One more jolt from a pinky knuckle against my groin, and I was home. I ejaculated once, hard, onto the curve between breast and hip that so fascinated me earlier. Two more shots landed on the outside part of her butt, bright and white against the brown of her skin. She wrung a complete more blots out onto the tiles below, and I panted as they disappeared down the plug hole. Whoa, I said. Whoa, Jesus. This is an author's note. Where I'd like to say, if you're wondering, like, why we did all that build-up for a super quick hand job, it's because as an author, if you spend this much time in your world with backstory, you're not willing to just throw it away for one sex scene. It's like, listen, I spent a lot of time taking you on this journey, so now we're going to have to escalate things. You think I spent all those thousands of words getting us here? No. Now we're going to have to go to shower times. <laughs> and released my dick. Washed off the semen and that's otherwise clean, stepped out into a towel. All yours, she said. The look on her face was not one of horrified guilt. It was serious, direct, absolutely understanding and accepting of what she had just done and connected. Uh, thank you, I said, catching my breath. My pleasure. She reached before drying herself off. I hurried through the rest of my shower as my dick returned to normal size. My mind was an excited storm, unsure where this would go, but eager to find out. Crystal snuck in, unsurprisingly, but only out of duty. Perhaps I was expecting Anne to show some guilt as a proxy for what I ought to be feeling when she didn't. I didn't. I knew it meant something. The lingering buzz in my crotch kept me from interrogating the thought further. By the time I emerged a couple of minutes later, Anna was almost fully dressed, just pulling the last stocking up those incredible legs. She looked back at me and said, <clears throat> I'll see you back up there, okay? Okay. I nodded, and we slid her shoes and left, checking the coast as clear as you did so. I walked over and locked the door behind her. Perhaps this was it. As I walked back across the office to my desk, I checked the time, 12.59. I can get away with that, I thought. But you know what? The boss didn't say a word. Best day ever.
That evening, I was scrolling through social media feeds and drinking a beer to distract myself from all that had happened. I cheated, right? Some would only call that a home run cheating, but I'm not one of them. So why didn't I feel worse? Well, there was the fact that I had been talking to Anna and hadn't even spoke to her looking at me for the rest of the day. I assumed she was being aggressively professional, so not to try to get any attention of her colleagues of what we had done before. But I wondered. I regret and had begun to take over time. I was trying and failing not to think about it. a message popped up. A message from Anna. Uh, her. Hey, you there, me. Hey, yeah. <laughs> me, what's up? Her. Need to clarify a few things. Me, sure, a lot was left unsaid. Her. Yeah, so, me. If you think it was a mistake, I totally understand. Her. What? No. Not a mistake. I don't think so, anyway. Me. Oh, God, sorry. Her. Okay, stop typing and listen. Me. Okay, sorry. Her. Shut up, man! Her. Ha ha! Her. So. Her. It's probably going to happen again if we keep doing this. I didn't want to leave you like that, and it was fun. I'm wondering if you're okay with it and nothing else. We literally don't have time for anything else. I lead a busy life and don't have much room at the moment. What do you think? Me. Okay, well, I gotta admit, this is not what I expected. Her. Ugh. Don't tell me you thought it was a mistake. Me. Not at all. It was amazing. You're good. I feel like I'd be insane to walk away from this. Her. But. Me. No buts. It works for me. Her. No strings. Her. I can't believe I just typed that. Me. Agreed. No strings. Her. And we must stay professional at work. Me, of course. So that was it. My first ever friends with benefits type arrangement. And it was set up by the office hot girl. I couldn't believe my luck, and I immediately started wondering what else she'd be up for. At our Wednesday Skype call, I could see Crystal was trying a little harder. She told me about the little piece she'd been working on, and she asked follow-up questions about the things I'd been doing. I didn't tell her everything that I'd been doing. The thing was, I found it hard ever to summon any enthusiasm. Usually, the drive of our conversations, I was resorting to mm-humming and letting my thoughts drift. Crystal's fine, sharp features were rendered chunky and pixelated by the connection. So I started thinking of Anna's high cheekbones, full lips, and those eyes, the way they bored into me and promised me the world. Afterwards, I realized Crystal must have something else going on. I just have to be trying to deflect my own responsibility in the situation onto her. But if one transgression had left me acting the way she had for weeks, well, it seemed logical to think Crystal might have been the same about someone else's time. For now, I decided to let things continue as they were. Part of it was apathy, part of it was fear, and part of it was feeling for once I had some power over our relationship. I wouldn't say Anna was flirtatious at work over the following week, but she was a lot warmer than I was expecting back in our clear-the-air chat. She often appeared in the kitchen when I went to make a coffee, and even touched me a few times when no one else was around, just a nudge on my hip when I was at her, for instance, or a playful punch on the shoulder if she made a joke at my expense. In office context, and considering she never used to touch me before, it felt unusually intimate. 
I played terribly the first half of Dex's game. The anticipation had been building all week, and I couldn't stop thinking about what was going to happen after. As a result, my head wasn't in the game at all. And it came over to me as I sipped some water and said, Wake up, man. No, you don't. I was surprised at how stern she was being. Leave whatever's distracting you off the pitch and give us everything. We can still win this. I knew exactly what was distracting me, and she did too, but she had a point. I agreed and adjusted my focus on what was in front of me. In the second half, I played well. I laid three good chances on the platter for Anna, and she took well and scored a couple of good goals myself. We won comfortably in the end. (laughs) You were great, said Anna, as we parted from our teammates. We all gave a cheer, happy with the win. We dashed back to our building and walked as calmly as possible into the shower. Anna immediately removed her shirt and sports bra, leaving her topless in her shorts and shoes. My mouth dropped open. You like them, right? Her nipples pointed directly at me. (laughs) I really do. I replied, feeling a stirring in my balls already. I thought you might like to see them first. I took my wonder underwear off last, and my semi-hard dick sprang free. There you go, lad. And pointed out in front of me. Anna was watching, and she smiled when she saw it. I love that you can't hide what you're seeing, she said. Her lips parted to let more oxygen in. I thought I could smell her other lips parting, too. We went in. The warm water ran down her breasts and through her thin triangle of pubic hair. I was fully hard. Again, she took her lean in the left hand, soaping with the right. I was more lubricated than the previous week, and when it mixed with the water in her hand, it created this delicious absence of friction that moved up and down. She was more firm this time, and she breathed a little raggedly as her grunts grew more insistent. I shouldn't be telling you this, she said, but I got myself off last week, after, when we got home. After this. Wow. Was all I could say. I was focused on rushing orgasm, which I was trying desperately to halt. It was good, she said. Oh, uh, tell me when you're about to come, please. Uh, I'm, I'm about to come. She spun around to face me and dropped the sponge to the floor, removing her hand from my dick. She instead crouched her firm in front of me, maneuvering her breast in a position on either side of it, clasping them around it. They were incredibly soft, my harness making a groove between them, and it felt unbearably good. Come for me, then, she said. So I did. My knees buckled with the initial blast, which reached up as far as her neck and then a few diminishing splurts splattered across her breasts. They stuck to her for a few seconds before the water ran them off her. She spoke to me hard again, gently squeezing me a couple of times, wringing a couple more drops on her chest. I leaned back against the wall to steady myself as I recovered. The phase in the is-this-real-life repeated uselessly, incessantly, in my head. Anna stood and finished wreathing her body, her chest and stomach, from the extra soap and cum for good measure. I just stared at her body. It seemed lit by the sun, unlike anything else under these harsh fluorescent bulbs. She turned to look at me. Gotta go. She lingered for a second, and then out the shower. Hey, hey, you, did you? Excuse me? What might you be referring to? Me. Dot, dot, dot. 
her. Ha ha. No, not yet. Me, not yet. Her. I was hoping you might help with that, actually. Me. Oh, man, gladly. I've been thinking about it. Her. What would you do to me if we had more time? Me. Wow. Uh, well, what I do for you, more like. You, uh, you've done a lot for me. Her. I'm listening. Me. But you just said it. Time. I like to think I'm okay, but I don't think I can return the minute of favor in a minute flat. So it's no good swapping roles when we're racing to get back to our desk. But I thought I sensed a need from you today, and I want to meet that need. My idea is we have lunch together tomorrow in the shower, and we focus on you this time. Are you still there? Her. Yes. Me? Too much? Her. In a way, yes. I came online to get you to talk dirty to me. Now try not to bust a nut right here. So I can save it for tomorrow. Honestly, if I just rub through my panties, I might go off. See you tomorrow. When I got into work in the morning, I left a bag with a few towels and a couple of chicken sandwiches in the sour room. <sighs> I'm trying to take this story seriously, but then he'll, but then he'll throw in a detail that just... <sighs> Have you never been on a picnic, bro? Not one? One picnic, one hike in your fucking life, bro? And I mean, I love, and I love chicken sandwiches. Oh, Allie, you don't think that Busted Nut is the common nomenclature for the perfect, beautiful woman who just goes around and does everything and is a perfect Mary Sue in every way? Yeah. No, shocker. Shocker! <laughs> all right, all right. We're going to forget what he brought for lunch. Oh, we can't because of the next sentence. All right, one more time. <clears throat> when I got to work in the morning, I left a bag with a few towels and a couple of chicken sandwiches in the shower room. See, unfortunately, we're going to need to talk about the chicken sandwiches because the next sentence is, I wanted to dedicate the whole half hour to Anna's pleasure. So I figured fast, protein-rich food was best. Da-da-da-da-da-da! <laughs> he doesn't just say the mistake. He doubles down and he defines it. Oof. Oof, this man could run for president. All right. I also left a bottle of lubricant, half used from some sessions with Crystal, before she left for Iowa. <laughs> I worked so hard to get this far in the story, and he just fucks it up. Guys, I really pushed through some bullshit to get us here, because we only got one submission for a long V-Day story. And this guy is trying to Napoleon Dynamite his fucking chance to have sex with the office hottie. So hard. He's just straight Napoleon Dynamiting this bullshit. And, like, what do you... I feel so sad. This is every nerd's dream. 
This is every this is every nerd's dream, and he's so close to the finish line, and then he won't even spring for the six dollar bottle of lube. He won't even head up the fucking Walgreens in the morning on the way to fucking work. He won't even go to the fucking CVS and buy the little overpriced couple of splashes thing of KY jelly that they sell for this specific instance. They sell travel size things of KY jelly that are super overpriced. If a guy ain't willing to spend $3 on that for you, don't get wet for him. I guess that's why he's buying the lube. All right. <sighs> Upsetting. Upsetting. Like, what if I brought, like, what if I was all like, hey, baby. Hey, baby. I, uh, hey, baby. I want to take some recreational Viagra. You heard about this? You into this? Like, you know, I get hard for you all the time, but you know I want to take some recreational Viagra. You want to have fun with that? You want to plan that? And you're like, sure, you're into it. You're into it. You think that's great, right? You want to have fun with me? You think it's good? The doctor cleared me. You're into it. We're in a devoted relationship. You want to do it. You have fun, right? Imagine if I break out the recreational Viagra, and instead of breaking out a pill, I break out a blister pack of 10, and there's already three things punched out. Like, doesn't that change the scenario entirely for you? Aren't you like, now hold on a second, asshole. Wait a minute. What's happening here? Because I thought we were having something, and now I'm discovering that this is just a part of your approach? You see what I'm saying? There's, there's, just, there's just a little bit of a, huh? And I'm just saying, if you bring a half-thing bottle of lube, there's two ways. I'm a guy, and even I know, if you bring me a half-bottle thing of lube as a woman, there's two options. One, you've been using that recently with other people. Weird. Weird that you're letting me know that. Two, you haven't been using it with other people. You've just had it for a while, and now it's time to break the seal. Weird. Weird. I don't, I don't, I don't want your sad love oil from your past relationship that you just kept around because you're too fucking break. I don't want your sad secondhand dick oil. Come on. What are you talking about? That was really crossing a line to use sex rocks on Anna that I'd previously used on Crystal's vagina. All right, I'm going to read through the four, four lines of this, of this part again, and then we're just going to go ahead and push through. <clears throat> when I got to work in the morning, I left a bag with a few towels and a couple of chicken sandwiches in the shower room. I wanted to dedicate the whole half hour to Anna's pleasure, so I figured protein-rich food was best. I also left a bottle of lubricant half-used from some sessions with Crystal before she left for Iowa. This was really crossing a line to use sex products on Anna that I'd previously met on Crystal's vagina. I looked at it as coldly and practically as possible. It could take a while to get charged up. We only had half an hour, and I... <laughs> fucking bullshit. <laughs> fucking piece of shit. And I wanted to give home my all because she was my friend. And friends do their best for each other. Nothing to do with anything or anyone else. God, I've, my eyes are closed and I'm just trying to contain 
my reaction so hard right now. Like you're a child and you've like, you're not going to understand if I get mad at you. So I can't get mad at you. But it's that level of like, I have to contain myself. I have to contain myself. <laughs> at 12.15, I got up from my desk, headed out to the elevator. Anna stopped briefly in the toilet and then met me there so we could head down together. She was wearing a long flowing dress with shoulder straps and a subtle floral print. It was less pristine than her usual outfits. The fabric was a little crumpled in places, but she looked fantastic. There was a small leather bag over her shoulder. At the ground floor, instead of turning left to lift the banks, she turned right and walked down the passageway to the shower. My heartbeat allowed staccato rhythm, different from the steady after a soccer game. I locked the shower door behind us and reached for the bag for the corner. Hey, she said, putting the bag down from the bench. I turned to see the hold in the bottom of the dress in both hands. She slowly wiggled it up, revealing her knees, thighs, and vulva. It glinted in the light, slick with moisture. The lubricant shouldn't be necessary. I stared for a moment and then looked at her face. She looked at me and exhaled audibly. Look in my bag, she said. <laughs> I opened the clasp and pulled up a pair of red cotton underwear. She was a small stain on the crotch. She stared at me, open-mouthed, as I moved the moistened part past my nose and sniffed. They were thick with a delicious tangy musk. I dropped the panties to the floor! <sighs> Asshole. And went over to kneel in front of her. I shuffled forward until my head was at her crotch and then inhaled the scent of the source. Deeper. Richer. When I started blowing gently on her vulva, I rapidly expanding glit. <laughs> ah! Imagine that you've chosen a guy in the office to fuck. You've gone through all these fucking machinations. He DMs you. You decide to give him a chance. You take your panties off so he can give you the business. He drops him right on that dirty-ass fucking floor, scuttles up to you like a shitty PS1 era video game, and just opens up your pussy lips. <gasps> Like that baby. <laughs> we're gonna her clit's very large, but we're gonna bypass that part. She's got a very large clit. We're not gonna judge her. Some of you gals at arm have a very large clit. God bless. She was already so wet. A single drop of her fluid had pooled at the base of her vulva. Stop saying that word. I continued to blow carefully over her genitals and the skin surrounding them. I heard her make a mile-per-hour sound, so I moved in and kissed her folds. Thank Christ, a few times without opening my mouth. <clears throat> Said Anna. I proceeded to lick slowly and deliberately from bottom to top. I got the drop of fluid on my lips and swept my tongue all the way up her skin before her clit, further moistening her already damp opening. 
with her saliva and her own juices. She swayed on her little feet. I repeated the move a few times, increasing the pressure slightly with each pass. Her vulva continued to part from me, and I revealed how much pinker opening her vagina. I turned my head sideways, and I tongue-fucked her. Boy, I wish he had just skipped to that sentence after saying he came up to her on her knees. You know what I'm saying? How much better this story would be if she's all like, check, what's in my bag? He sees panties, he puts the panties back in the bag, he scuttles up to her, and he says, I stick my head sideways, and I start tongue-fucking her pussy. Just an inch or so at first, she's groaning in appreciation with that deep first entry, so I delve progressively deeper. Eventually, pressing my lips flush against her vulva so I could stick my tongue in as far as it would go. I flicked it in and out, in and out, sucking her swollen clits as I did so. She made a little ha sound with every shallow breath out. I withdrew my tongue and replaced it with my middle and index fingers, curling the knuckles slightly towards my inside her. I then moved towards her clit, which stuck out profoundly. I closed my mouth around her hood with a gentle sucking motion, and Anna's knees buckled. Fuck, fuck, wait. <clears throat> she then asked to sit down, which I think is bullshit. So I'm going to continue because they have a conversation about her getting close and then saying she needs to sit because she's close. All right. Obviously, I'd gotten her close, so I returned my fingers inside her and clapped my mouth around her clit. I swirled my tongue around the hood and pressed gently against the rub. She let out loose strings of oohs and ahs, and I started flicking my tongue back and forth across it, alternating with sucks to stretch it out. My fingers stroked inside her, applying gentle waves of pressure against the mass of nerves bundled where my mouth was. The compliment Complimentary movements had her gasping a staccato. She was grabbing onto the towel hook above her head to steady herself, and she peeked. Anna's vagina seemed to loosen and drench itself one final time before my fingers were massaging inside her. I stopped the rolling of my tongue against her clit and just held it slightly and tied her mouth as she came. She made an erratic animalistic sound, high-pitched and desperate, clenched her buttocks tight. She clenched, reduced, and flinched, increased in length. One particularly long spasm of her pressing and her crotch to her face, her mouth wide open, and her eyes squeezed shut as if in agony. I had a flash of astonishment of Anna, the office hot girl, always so immaculately turned out, was thrashing around with her legs spread and her finger deep inside her. The room had filled with steam from the shower, leaving a dampness across her skin. She was the most wanton sexual display I'd ever witnessed. <laughs> I wondered what I had done right in a past life to deserve this moment. After the tightening around my fingers was done, I slowly withdrew them and released her clit, looking into Anna's slightly vacant eyes. I took them into my mouth and licked her rich, thick, acidic juices. Her brow furrowed slightly and her mouth hung open. I reached into my pocket, ignoring my sizable erection, and I pulled out my phone to show her. 12.32. Better get cleaned up, I said. She just nodded, and then got unsteadily to her feet, using me for support. I had rushed over, and I felt her against me. I wrapped my arms around my sweaty body, and she clasped her hands around my back and wrapped her under her head into my chest. 
I stroked her little hair. Surprisingly, this moment felt far more intimate than making her come had. There was an element of trust about it and gratitude. Her body relaxed into mine and she closed her eyes for a few seconds. Come, I said, patting her lightly on the back. You gotta get back. Anna pushed her head slightly to my chest. I know, I know. It was so nice, though. She sighed. Would you undo me? I unhooked her bra and slid away from her skin. She leaned back and let it fall to the floor between us. She bundled my shirt in her hands just above her waist and pulled out my pants, pushing it to my neck to expose my skin. Please stay, she said. Mm, don't go. Okay, I replied. I rubbed my hand up and down the curve of her back. Her skin was so warm and smooth. The feeling of her nipples jutting into me was heaven. This was it. That was the moment. Those were the strings. Anna unwound herself from me and stepped into the shower, closing the door behind me. She smiled at me through the glass. Ten minutes later, we walked out through the shower room and, as usual, an empty lobby. We rode the elevator back to our floor, and she joked about how good the restaurant was. I said I'd have to eat there again. She blushed and laughed. Then she said we'd have to try the whole menu. The innuendo was ridiculous, but I blushed too. I remember the sandwiches and thrust one after as sure the lift opened. <laughs> imagine, imagine being all happy that he eats you out and he just throws you that fucking steam-heated chicken sandwich that he popped out of his fucking bag. Oh, baby. Well, here we go, guys. There's resolution. Crystal took it pretty well. She admitted to being distracted herself, which I guess could be a euphemism for a lot more. I agreed to keep up the stuff boxed in my apartment until she got back a few months. I wanted to keep up the possibility of reconnecting then, and I agreed, thinking the option would be nice to have. We have all some good times, but I didn't intend to go back to her. Instead, my mind filled up with images of Anna in my apartment, sitting across from the table with me at dinner, and walking to me at the farmer's market on Saturday, and coming home, and being here with me, and holding my hand, and thoughtfully, and articulate, and funny, and funny, and calling me out when necessary, and evidence by the time of the ramp up. So I wanted to lie naked in bed together and spend our time from exertion, idly sharing our dreams and concerns. I asked her out that Friday. It was all quite teenager. I messaged her asking to talk to her briefly after work. We met in a rarely used back stairwell. She failed to suppress a smile when I invited her to dinner the weekend. She said it wasn't what she wanted out of it. And it arrived at 5 p.m. on Saturday and I was chopping vegetables for a pasta dish and drinking a beer, welcoming her to the door with a kiss and an embrace, and then I showed her the couch and returned to the kitchenette. Uh, there's no more sex. That's it. Anna stays for dinner, and they sleep together. That's the story. He doesn't show her his shower. Hold on. They, don't, they also don't talk about the boss again, either. She's unbucking my pants. She's sucking my dick. Uh, no. No shower. No final references to a boss. Oh, she cancels on him for Sunday after she sleeps over. Anna. Oh, my God. <laughs> she spends the night on Saturday. She cancels on him on Sunday. They make some Sunday plans, and then it skips to this. And our lives would become simpler and the longer we were together. Marriage at two years. Pregnancy as soon as she stopped taking the pill. 
<laughs> That's a jump up. Cancel Sunday plans to married with kids. Uh, boy, that chicken sandwich must have been amazing. All right. That was First Touch by Confabulator. Confabulator on Literotica. First Touch by Confabulator, the longest story we've read in a long time. Guys, the tip jar is open. You absolutely have to pay me after that. <laughs> I got through it. I made jokes. I tried to make it sexy. I got the commentary. And I know when it's not sexy because of vulva and moist. Uh, let me alternate the vulva, the moist, and the hand job at work. That's really going to get the women going. Thank you so much, Stormy. Everyone's saying I did a good job. Thank you so much. I appreciate it and you. I hope you had a Valentine's Day. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're a patron, then you're having a great one. I put up a lot of content. I like doing the content blitzes for holidays. It makes me feel like I'm a big good daddy. There's still plenty of stuff for patrons if you're coming up. Thank everybody who suggested something. Thank everybody who came out. Thank everybody who made the quick quotes. All the rest of it. I feel really good. I love doing the live shows. I put on a bigger show. The more of you come out, the bigger the crowd, the bigger the show. Won't you keep on making them happen? Please, please, please come on out. Bring your friends. Tell the rest. Social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Tumblr, Tumblr, Grey Knight Erotica, Twitter, at Real Grey Knight, R-E-A-L-G-R-E-Y-K-N-I-G-H-T. Tweet me, say hello, DM me. I am open to it. There will be a bonus episode. You are hearing about it when this episode drops. It'll be coming up pretty shortly after this episode and this week's episode. Bonus episode coming out because you fans are so good to me and each other. I hope you enjoyed it. I had a great time tonight. Hopefully you laughed because I fucking couldn't do as much as I wanted to. Thank you again to everybody who shows the support. Everybody who keeps it going. Remember, this podcast, these shows, they all happen because of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for letting me live the greatest life. <clears throat> One of the ladies of the night have an anniversary on Valentine's Day. That was the first time she actually reached out. We had a personal connection. And now she messages me every Valentine's Day and we have to have a little bit of an anniversary. Well, you and I don't have an anniversary in the same way, but I just want to say, as a day that's important to you, let me know that this is important to me. And as long as I'm around, as long as my heart beats red blood, I will do something for you each and every Valentine's Day. Thank you for making my life so much better, so much more interesting, and so much more fulfilled. From me, from Allie, from all the ladies of the night, we appreciate it. One more time, there is a tip jar down below if you were listening to the recording. I do want you to come on out, and I do want you to become a patron. All that information is below. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am Jack. The ladies of the night requested each and everything, and I read it all completely blind going in. Not so much as a single cold scan, not even knowing what was coming up. That's just how good we're getting. That's just how strong it all is. Listen to the show that we're putting on these days. I am the Grey Knight. You can call me Jack. I will see you here next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Happy Valentine's Day. Bye.